Hello, everyone, and welcome to Convos with Jordan, the podcast where I, Jordan Keith, interview and introduce you to people pursuing their dreams, living authentically, and self-actualizing to their true selves. Guests discuss their unique experiences, trials, and tribulations that they have overcome, shape them into who they are today, and where they are headed next on their life's journey. On our solo episodes, I'll draw upon personal experiences from my own life, concepts from the self-improvement community, and topics revolving around success and inspirational ideas so that you can become the person you want to be. Thanks for tuning in on this journey. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to our fourth episode of Combos with Jordan. I'm your host, Jordan Keith. Today, we have as our guest, my friend, Tom Speed of Feeding Speedy, a British freelance chef and food writer based in London, where he runs pop-up restaurants inspired by his passion for American cuisine. Through his Instagram, at Feeding Speedy, Tom also runs weekly cook-alongs to share his love of food and shine a light on inspiring food founders and influencers doing amazing things. You can follow his journey on his website, feedingspeedy.com, as well as his Instagram, at Feeding Speedy. Welcome to the show, Tom. Glad to have you here. Um, why don't you describe uh, yourself a little bit? Obviously British, obviously a little bit posh. And we met in a, a food, uh, in a running club. So take it from here, Tom. Tell uh, our listeners a little bit about yourself. Well, pleasure to um, to be on, Jordan. Thank you for uh, thank you for the invite. And yes, we met running. Um, so I'm Tom. I'm uh, as you can tell, <laughs> a British guy. I like I actually am a bit posh. That's that's probably fair. Um, so I love American food. I love American uh, culture. I met um, Jordan probably in 2016, I think it is, um, when I moved. I was uh, I was in New York for a couple of months with work and uh, I didn't know anyone and I just wanted to make some friends. And I, uh, I re- so distinctly remember thinking it was a complete hoax because I was Googling like running clubs in New York and this website, random website was like, oh, like, we all meet every uh, Saturday morning at uh, Whole Foods. Um, so like come here and then uh, and then we'll run together. And I was convinced this was a lie. I was convinced it was like, a, like a, the website was dead or it was just so embarrassing. So I really was nervous the first time I went, but I was so glad I did because it was a great moment to meet uh, a, a completely diverse group of New Yorkers who were all doing the same thing, which was trying to find connections with people. Um, so that's how we hit it off. Um, so yeah, um, the the description is is pretty accurate. So um, I have a full time job in marketing, um, but outside of that, I'm a freelance chef. Um, so food is my passion. Food is how I uh, is the framework that I see the world in. Um, I think about food all the time, and I just love uncovering stories through food. Um, and my uh, my Instagram feeding speedy is my side project, my passion, my love. Um, I hope that passion comes across in all of everything that I do, but I do, you know, great recipe content. I do pop-up restaurants in London where I try and bring American food that I think is real and the American food that I have had in uh, London. Um, and yeah, I just try and have uh, a good time feeding people and making them happy. Yeah. And I think that's amazing. I remember um, distinctly, I think it was one of your last weekends in New York, like you wanted to go to IHOP for some reason. So after we ran, we walked over to that IHOP on 14th, you know, like a little towards like um, towards the East River and everyone else is like, why would you want to come here? And you're like, oh, I feel like this is like a quintessential American experience. Yeah, I got, I remember that. And oh, I was in, so I was in, uh, when we were messaging a couple of weeks ago, I was in Texas on holiday and 
uh, with my girlfriend and I uh, went past an IHOP and I told her that story. And I was like, IHOP is an icon. And I think the thing is, you know, I'm a child of the 90s. And when you're in the UK and in, you grew up in the 90s and early 2000s, American TV dominated your life. Uh, you know, be it like when I was a lot younger and it was like Disney Channel, Nickelodeon. But then like when you go through like Friends Generation, um, How I Met Your Mother, like these shows completely romanticized the American experience. Um, and I know that it's not necessarily real, but it really captures, you know, a certain group of, you know, and I, I consider myself like someone who really loves America and American culture. It really captures that essence of what it is like to be an American. And I, I just love kind of getting as many of those like real experiences as possible because hell yeah, like Michelin star restaurants are brilliant and all that kind of stuff. But some of the, my happiest food memories have been standing outside a taco truck in the middle of some random neighborhood with like sauce dribbling down my hand as I eat my fourth taco. Like that's the kind of stuff that I get so excited about and that feels more real to me. And I remember I, I used to, I had a checklist when I was living in America about um, going to Applebee's, White Castle, In-N-Out, um, the, the five guys in America, because obviously there's five guys in the UK, but that's real. That's the real life for me. And I, I want to have those experiences. So yeah, thank you for taking me to IHOP that time. That was yeah. fun. And I think it's like here, like you see, like right now we're about to go in election season and I'm not going to hit on politics type stuff, but always like in these campaigns, it's always like a, a politician, you know, like in a diner usually. And that's what I think IHOP captures that type yeah. of experience. Right. But you've seen so many different types of like American food experience. I remember, um, years ago like so how did you speeding speedy like you got inspired by american cuisine was there a particular cuisine that kind of like made you like kind of fall in love with oh that's a great question um so so yeah so feeding speedy was originally started just because i wanted to capture recipes and just kind of almost for my own benefit just have a memory log of everything that i'd seen and eaten and stuff like that um I think when I was before I yeah before we met I had done a American trip um a road trip so I took a mini work break sabbatical and I went for 6 weeks from New York to LA and back by the by the south um on a like coach with like a group of people and um it was an amazing experience I was probably 24 25 um just completely open to any of these kind of cuisines and anything that I kind of could get my hands on. And I just wanted to experience real America. I think, you know, from a kid, I've been into, uh, my parents took us to Florida, you know, every other year. I've been to New York loads. I went to LA once. Like I, I hit all the big kind of your classic touristy places. And I wanted to see the rest of America. And I was very conscious that I was, I was seeing quite a distorted America. I was seeing a very kind of, you know, in some sense, liberal, metropolitan, like that kind of America. And I wanted to see something else. So I had a really great experience of that trip and there were countless stories I could tell you, but I think in answer to your question, the thing that really inspired me was when I went to New Orleans. So I actually have been, as you'll, you'll remember, I just went uh, there a couple of months ago um, with my girlfriend. And it was one of those places that I was like, I need to take you to this place because you know and i remember talking to a guy while we were there and he was like if you were to drop someone who had never been to america or didn't know what it was into new orleans they would not think they were in america they would have no sense that this was part of a bigger country that was had the you know had the kind of perception that it has it was a very unique space and from a cuisine perspective 
that was the first time I really understood what regional American cuisine was. You know, as a, and, you know, again, like as a Brit, and I'm, I'm in London, and London is quite good with regional stuff, and I think it's quite sophisticated in some ways. But to be honest, if you were to ask the average Brit, like, what's American food? They would say burgers, they'd say McDonald's, they'd say, um, they'd say like steak, house, TGI Fridays, ribs. Um, they, they'll, they'll, someone more sophisticated might say, you know, Texas barbecue, but really, like, that's not big. Um, but pretty much that would be it. And the idea of, you know, dishes that I had in New Orleans, like gumbo, jambalaya, um, those kinds of really specific dishes to an area would have very, very minimal awareness in the UK and London, even now. And, and, and there are some restaurants who are brilliant. So there's a couple of places um, that um, do fantastic, authentic, yeah, southern food, New Orleans food. But um, that was what made me realise that actually there's a real there's a real lifelong interest for me in American food because actually the general perception is that it's quite homogenized and, and run and dominated by big brands. But actually, if you scratch the surface, you can see each state has a flavor and a style and a difference that not anyone else really understands if you're not in America. So that's what has motivated me to keep trying to uncover these gems and uncover these different Dishes. Yeah, I, I think that's amazing. And like you said, New Orleans is actually one of the few cities in America I haven't visited yet, but it has that kind of like French inspired culture, the Creole Cajun type of culture that makes it really unique and a really unique aspect. Like you mentioned the diversity of food too, like barbecue alone, Texas barbecue, Kansas City barbecue, Carolina barbecue. I think when you delve into America, like you said, um, you know, the stereotype a lot of times is, oh, McDonald's, KFC, I hear it is very popular abroad too. Yeah, And it's yeah, way yeah, yeah. more diverse than you would suspect because of all the type of cultures. Like I learned recently, you're probably aware, tacos come from uh, Turkey. Uh, Turkish immigrants immigrated to Mexico and created the taco. That's like the El Pastor, the whole spit. Yeah, yeah. the El Pastor, yeah. Yeah, and actually, to be honest, that's, uh, and I, I feel my like interest with food by watching, you know, Anthony Bourdain was, has always been an icon and inspiration for me. David Chang is also someone who I'm really inspired by and Ugly Delicious, his great show on Netflix was where that story uncovered. And I think he takes a very holistic view of food that I find super interesting. The idea that every, every culture and cuisine kind of in some ways has the same base ingredients or, or base kind of techniques. And what's great is that if you give different groups of people different things, they create different things. But actually, if you take a step back, you realize they're all quite similar, um, you know, a crepe is the same as a taco is you know and and as a, is the same as kind of um um ijira the ethiopian flatbread like there's lots of different kind of similarities in some sense to all of these things um but obviously they're very unique to that area and unique to that that cuisine and those people which um again i find so interesting and i think is why food uh is such a important kind of topic to learn and to uncover stories within because it's not just food it's not just fuel it's about uh, it's about a family or a cuisine's uh, kind of background um, and how they express themselves. Yeah, it's kind of like your, um, I remember I went to a military academy here in the States and there's a civilian college across the street and this admiral like always ragged or senior captain, whatever, ragged on this one cadet a student because he took this class over at the co civilian college called uh, Asian Culture Through Food. And that blew his mind that that there was a class like that um but what you're saying is there's a lot of cultural avenue through these foods i guess like um for you what are what are some dishes that 
really speak to you or really like epitomize a certain place and that you've kind of brought over to London and you love to share with people? Uh, interesting. Well, it, it's funny. This is quite like good time to have this chat because I'm in the midst of like building a bit of a TikTok series around uh, I, I, the working title is a Brit making American dishes that you might not have heard of. So there's a couple of dishes that stand out that I'm I'm currently just playing with and thinking about. Um, oyster po'boys are the thing that first brings to mind. So I never really got oysters until I came to New Orleans, and then I had um, a round of charbroiled oysters. And I had a round of like just meat raw oysters and then I had an oyster po' boy and then I finally understood how amazing oysters are and what's great about those dishes is that they are very um they have like a kind of a real richness from the New Orleans experience and what those dishes meant and how they fueled a certain group of people um and now they're just so iconic within that neighborhood that having great po' boys is something that I just like think about a lot and crave a lot and and i i I've, I've got a recipe that i've made with them um and uh they don't you know we have like good sandwiches in the uk and there's actually there's a movement now in london of um almost a kind of gourmet subway sandwiches so um taking really great ingredients reimagining your kind of subway classics but then and but it's but it's branded in a very kind of subway way and almost quite like ironic way which is quite interesting um, but that, you know, things like po' boys are really interesting to me because that's a dish that doesn't exist in London, but could do so well because it's just a delicious kind of sandwich. It's just a great thing that people should know about. Um, when I did my very first pop-up though, I did gumbo and that was a really great thing for me because it was the dish that kind of, it was the one dish that when I had it, I, I felt like I'd eaten something new. And it was the it was kind of one of those things that you know sometimes in life you don't you feel like you just have the same thing all the time but like for me like when I remember the first time I ate like gumbo was like wow this is a different this is like a different language it's like it's a different way of taking ingredients that I know and making them into something new um, so I had a I had a go at making my own and I did a pop up in and this would have been 2019 it was my very first pop up and I did my menu was gumbo pecan pie, um, cornbread cooked in a skillet, which I, again, was like a new thing for me, like really, really tried to make it as classic as I could, um, and mac and cheese and, uh, and people loved it. And I think it went really well. I was super nervous. And I, I remember the very first person I served and this was like kind of, you know, classic sods law, like scenario, but you know, I opened up, it's in, it's based in Pimlico, which is like just below south of the river, very near to Westminster. Um, it's a, a very quirky space. My friend, uh, one of my best friends, Amir, who is also a food, he's a food, proper food writer. He's written a cookbook. Um, he uh, used to run this uh, space and I, I borrowed it from him. And uh, the very first person who cooked, who who came up to me was an American. Was <laughs> someone was like, oh, I've, and I was like, oh, we, I was like, she's like, oh, I'm from, I can't remember where she was from, but she, she said, oh, like, I, I, I found out through someone that this was happening and I had to come down and try some authentic American foods. And I was like, what a stressful first customer. Like, this could be terrible. You have no, <laughs> so what, but obviously, you know, in the, in the, in the way of doing it, I just said, yeah, of course, like, you know, kind of act like you do all the time. And it's not just your first time doing the, the actual pop-up. And she thought it was great. And it was a really nice moment of, I, I was like, okay, well, I can feed someone who's had it before and it's not terrible. Um, but yeah, I think that was the dish that had it. But then also that was the dish that re made me realize that 
there is an education challenge so or, or you know a logistical challenge so obviously you know this that authentic gumbo has andouille sausage in it now andouille sausage is a sausage that is um you know local to new orleans local to cajun cuisine andouille sausage is so hard to find in london it's basically impossible the most stressed i got about that first pop-up was trying to find sausage <laughs> i couldn't find it anywhere and i ended up and and this is like a classic kind of hustler story but i ended up um googling restaurants in london that had gumbo on the menu and then calling them and then asking to talk to the chef to say where did you get your sausage from because i can't find any and i'm trying to do this pop-up and like can you help and and actually that's where like you know i think there's a kind of unspoken rule in chefs of, of like helping and and i think it's a great community and i think if people understand what you're trying to do and are very supportive actually that's it's amazing and this guy was like here's who i get them from they're based in kent which is kind of out of london um and they're really good so i trust them so like that's what you should get and so i did and then thank god i found the right people and, and it was amazing but it shows that it's really hard to like sometimes to make these dishes because you don't have the raw material um so it relies a little bit on kind of yeah word of mouth and trying to find the right suppliers um but yeah that's uh that's the dish. yeah that's amazing that you brought that up because that was going to kind of be my next question too kind of like hey do you encounter uh, supply chain issues with these ingredients or you know like kind of that market research how do i get these things and everything that's incredible but i i remember um I mentioned like before we started recording that I went out to Greece with a friend who's also British and he asked like myself and then uh, his old roommate who's American. He's like, hey, did you guys bring any of that mac and cheese? Like the powdered cheese, I guess, like is like not allowed <laughs> to be brought into the the UK for like food safety reasons or whatever. They don't consider it like real food or something. You know what I'm talking about, right? Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, oh, that's funny. Yeah, I mean, I think what's... um. It is interesting how I think you have to find the right suppliers and you can get stuff. Um, so I did another pop up um, later that summer, which was a Mexican uh, like taqueria concept. So I just was like, you know, Mexican food uh, is not is, is, you know, there are some decent Mexican places and particularly at the high end. There's some really good high end Mexican races in London. But I think the mainstream Mexican kind of taste is not there. It's not the same. It's it's it is again like going back to like my travels and stuff. Like you know, this Mexican food is unbelievable in Texas. Yeah. Actually, I had some amazing Tex-Mex in in Mexico in, uh, this this summer. But I realized that I wanted to like have my own spin on this. So the biggest thing that I was trying to find, and again, it all goes back to the right ingredient and the right product. The thing that I missed, and the thing that London is not good at, and even now in and I you know in a supermarket context, corn tacos, uh, sorry, corn tortillas are not, don't really exist. So all of the, all the market is all flour. So, you know, I think that kind of comes back from, I know that flour tortillas are authentic in some right. sense, but the taste to me of taco is corn. And that was the thing that made me realize it was an amazing different thing. So I knew that for this pop-up, I had to find corn tacos and my, it just took forever to find, uh, any kind of authentic Mexican thing but then I and then this is where like the world's great and there are people who do amazing things so in Houston which is really in the middle of London very close to here actually so like kind of central London there is a Mexican restaurant that has a Mexican um uh like food uh, supermarket like for authentic product next to it 
So, and this, I, I don't know the story ins and outs, but it's a very authentic place. And I, I, I was so amazed and I went into this place and it was, it was honestly like a dream <laughs> because it, I walked in and I was like, here is, here's some uh, nopales, here's queso fresco, here's dried chipotle, here is um, fresh corn tortillas that are in the fridge that you have to like buy and then use, not, not from the packet, which is again, amazing. Um, and I was like, this is my supplier. This is who I need. And, and it was great because they were, you know, thankfully not that far away from what, where I needed to go, but it was, it took a lot of hustle to get that. And, and this is where, you know, I have this thing about foods that you should, you should really think about what you're creating for your customer. And you have to have a standard that you don't negotiate on because, you know, there are a lot of people, there are a lot of, there are a lot of people who cook for in London, in anywhere, and you can feed people a decent, you know, meal. But if you don't have a standard that you want to set, then you basically are just like everyone else. And I think the thing for me is that I want to be different. I want to stand out and have that standard. And particularly if it's something like as important as taco, you have to be like, this is the best taco that I can produce. And I know that because the ingredients I put into it are the best I can find. And that was again, like just a nice story, I think, of product and how I try and be quite led on those ingredients and trying to find find the right stuff. I find it fascinating. You're kind of talking about this idea. One, you know, you're a very sharp guy. You're doing your market research. You're finding your suppliers to find the most authentic experience because it seems like there's like a cornerstone ingredient or ingredients around these cuisines. Even though, like, you know, everyone has like say you know, in Indian food, there's a samosa, right? But in Mexican cuisine, there's an empanada, right? But you're trying to find the most authentic yeah. experience. And you're like, it's, you're being very intentional about this and like setting a standard for like the experience because you're, you know, it's not just food, right? It's not just sustainment. It's also an experience that you're trying to provide people like kind of a cultural immersion. And London's super diverse, right? So yeah. I'm not surprised you haven't been, you know, you've been able to find things, but I, what type of relationships have you built up? It seems like, do you know what your next pop-up's going to be too related to that? It seems like you have quite the network of, you know, foodie people. Yeah, well, I think <laughs> I'm, I'm quite, I think one of my, you know, I think one of my strengths is being able to build relationships with people. I love, I love doing that. I think it's, um, it's something that's important in life, be it work, personal relationships, like you have to invest in people and think about, and think about them as you know equals in that relationship in that investment um so i've been uh yeah i mean i've got i've got some kind of irons in the fire for my next pop-up i'm not quite sure timings at the moment but what i want to do is um thinking about kind of again another i want to shine a light on another regional american kind of moment in the cuisine um and uh create something amazing and i think again i think you are right like it goes back to there are some core ingredients that that you need to source that are slightly difficult. And then that's the thing that will unlock the magic. Um, and I work, you know, I work with some really interesting suppliers across London um, that, you know, I'm quite specific around trying to get fresh suppliers um, who are quite local to the, where I'm doing the pop-ups. So in Pimlico, um, we have a great network of people who we work with. I did another one in uh, South London, like Berman's, not that South, but uh, Bermondsey area. But again, I used a local, you know, they, I was creating these great veggie burgers, um, and uh, I needed some like fresh buns for brioche buns. And uh, I used a bakery that was like a couple of doors down that was a brilliant supplier and super, um, super iconic actually, because it's called St. John's uh, Bakery, which is a uh, St. John restaurant is 
Anthony Bourdain's favorite restaurant was a very kind of iconic British institution. And I think that the other thing I was going to say that's, you know, maybe interesting um, is that the thing I try and do is I, I do try and keep it grounded in London as well and grounded in kind of my experience because I never want to like feel inauthentic just paying someone else's cuisine. So um, my last pop-up was this June um, and it was the um, uh, Queen's Jubilee. So I did a collaboration with um, a brand in Bermondsey, brilliant brand called Hiver Beers, which are a um, honey beer brand based in London. Um, and uh, we did the Queen Bee Jubilee pop-up, which was me serving uh, vegetarian sloppy joes, um, loaded nachos with beer cheese sauce um, and um, a uh, kind of a, a, my, I call it the ultimate veggie burger, which is kind of my take on almost like an in and out burger, but made vegetarian. Um, and uh, then they, they had their fantastic beers and it was a great experience for me because it was my first time properly collaborating with a brand in that sense. Um, and uh, it was also just nice because it kind of the flavor of it was like the, you know, the Jubilee. It was quite a joyous weekend in London, uh, very sunny, lots of people out. Um, and yeah, so there's there's obviously a very distinctive, you know, my I, the way I frame it on my my kind of socials and stuff is American food, British accent, which is it's American food. But my take on it, which is kind of influenced by my British kind of either big British ingredients, my kind of techniques or just kind of my spin on stuff that I've had. Um, so, yeah, I have the, the networks that I uh, kind of went on a, on a tangent a little bit, but my net my network is is my power. And I think you know, for anyone doing anything like this, it's so important to to surround yourself with good people and nurture those relationships. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. As someone too, who loves obviously talking, connecting with people, seeing what people are doing. I think that's really amazing and that you timed it well, you know, like that kind of growth, doing it with a brand and actually doing a brand deal. You do work in marketing as your profession. So that doesn't surprise me at all that you're able to angle yeah. that in, really network in and get something going. The Jubilee must have been amazing too. I, I know like, the queen obviously recently passed and I'm sorry that I'm sure like, you know, that was like really hard. I mean, we're in a yeah. different era now because like we have, you know, there's a king now, yeah. right. You know, and there continue to be a king for a yeah. long time. Yeah. It's, 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 it's yeah. It's, it's a funny time in London and it was a very funny time in the UK when, when all of that happened and uh, it was, it was an unusually somber time. Um, I think for the world as much as any, anything else, but you feel it very strongly when obviously you're so, um you're so kind of so surrounded by it but the jubilee itself was 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 very joyous and i think it's you know it it was a great moment for me personally just because i hadn't done a pop-up because of the pandemic for uh, two, uh year and a half um so it was it was a big moment for me to like kind of step up and cook again for people um so yeah it was a great it was a great thing and and i it's uh something i definitely want to do i've got um yeah i definitely will do it in the new year but i think i want to try and do one before Christmas, if possible, although I keep looking at my diary and realizing that I'm running out of time, but we will yeah, see. Yeah, because with that too, like, are you targeting kind of like quarterly pop-ups? Is that kind of the intention too, to do it like once a quarter? Because it seems like there's so much extensive planning with finding the suppliers, you know, doing branded deals possibly. It's it's quite a big project to undertake on top of running the rest of Feeding Speedy, as well as just, you know, typical work, right? Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a good point. And I think my girlfriend, when she, when she listens to this, will be uh, rolling her eyes as you list out all of this stuff. Because, yeah, it's, it's, I think the thing about entrepreneurship in general and, you know, side hustle culture is that it sounds really sexy and it sounds really cool when you look at it from the outside. But when you are doing it and you are committing to doing it, 
it's a slog. It's really hard. And there are loads of things that people don't see that you just have to do. Um, you know, and you're right, like from the pop-ups, it's it's honestly like the pop-ups in my head are like two months worth of planning and execution. Um, and you know, it goes from like, you're right, like the initial kind of kickoff with the potential brand or suppliers, it's about planning it, it's about defining what the vision is for the marketing and then doing the marketing and then repeatedly kind of saying to people come by like the 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 the, the, the you know and I ended up for this pop-up I just had a go at doing lots of different video content kind of on TikTok and that went really well but then you know you you invest a lot in doing that stuff so honestly it takes me I you know quarterly is would be a great thing I think honestly like if I did two or three a year I'd be like chuffed because it just you know it takes over your world and you know the problem also is financially it doesn't really pay back like it's it's a brilliant thing for a brand building perspective and I think my my kind of whole vision for feeding speedy is it's less about you know I if the the end goal for me is not like a restaurant chain or a restaurant of any kind the end goal for me is almost like me as a personality in the space who can become an authority figure in that world of American food um and so what I try and do is think about how do I how do I deliver that proof that I can be an expert and part of that for me is the pop-ups are a good proof point of like well I I cook food in real life for people and they eat it and they like it that's for me like quite a credible proof point um and then you know the other stuff that you'll see that I do all the kind of recipe content and all the storytelling that I do again it's like a proof point of like well here are my recipes that I create that you can enjoy that are again grounded in America um and then the cooking conversations is kind of in my head almost a bit becoming its own thing but just is almost my like ability to kind of talk about food more generally and get inspired by people who I think are really exciting. So it's it's just a quite, you know, those are my three pillars of stuff. Um, and uh, I try and balance them with my, <laughs> with my personal life, with my work life, with sleep. And I don't always get it right. Um, but I try to do things that make me happy and fulfill me. And I think the thing with all of these things outside of your full-time job is that you have to do stuff that in, you enjoy and you would do if like no one else really cared. And then at some point someone might care and watch, you know, watch your videos, follow your stuff. And then suddenly it you know, goes up. Um, but you can't come, you can't start with the vision of like, I want a hundred thousand followers or whatever, because you'll, you'll lose your own, you'll lose way before you'll quit way before you ever get that. Right. It's not about like, Hey, I'm going to be the successful influencer and I'm going to be known by everyone. It's um more like, Hey, this is what's bringing me fulfillment because uh, I've struggled with that. I think a lot of people do entering the working world. And, you know, for me getting out of the military, going into the civilian workforce, I've learned that like, Hey, my job doesn't need to bring me fulfillment. You should like and enjoy your job, but it shouldn't mm. bring you fulfill. You know, it doesn't need to bring you fulfillment. And this brings you a lot of fulfillment. I can tell, you know, you love, cooking you love food uh, it's awesome that your girlfriend is supportive you know i imagine she's like oh tom i'm gonna have to entertain this whole project and i'm gonna have to try sweet because i'm sure you <laughs> cook for her a ton or and everything too right yeah well i have i have i mean yeah uh, i mean and she's a great cook as well to be honest um so that's uh, we, we we very much share that but i also uh, you know my friends i think you know it's quite it's quite nice but i sometimes have to test a lot of my recipes before I do pop-ups I, pra I practice so uh I often invite like a group of friends over and say hey like I've got a pop-up in two weeks time I need to practice the whole menu do you want to come over and just like eat it all and like tell me what you think and obviously that's a good popular thing and people like that and are always willing to help so that's nice um but it it 
you know also I have to like I <laughs> I have like really funny kind of things of like I have to make you know I don't know sloppy joes I had to make four four or five times in the space of two weeks because I had to kind of get the like spice ratio the way that I wanted it and there's a moment where like my sister or someone like turns me I was like I don't want to try anymore <laughs> like I don't want it can you like and I'm like I'm sorry this is too much um but yeah like it's it's you've got it you know again it goes back to this like you set your own standard um and no one's telling me like this is good this is bad I'm like well if I want to serve it and I want to put my name to it or my face to it I want to be proud and that is the standard that I want to set when I think about all my dishes really um and I've I've learned that I think this is something that when I first were doing them I I was perhaps a bit more relaxed about but I think now that I've got a bit older and a bit more kind of thinking more kind of strategically about all of this stuff I just want to be proud I want to be proud to share you know all the recipes I create online I make them they are good I promise that they will be tasty if you follow how I do them and it's the same with the pop-ups like I will never serve a burger and expect someone to pay money for something that I wouldn't eat and pay that money for yeah and like on that I I had two thoughts one the pop-ups are like kind of like musicians going on tour right like musicians a lot of times don't (laughs) make money on tour they actually lose money but it gets that exposure to like their music and then people do album sales or buy merchandise and all of that and it's like what you're saying a little bit pre-recording like you know like with tiktok and i you know i'll is your tiktok it's at feeding speedy as well by the way because that's a huge thing yes it is. yeah Yeah, yeah. so i'll be sure to include that in the beginning in the primer but um yeah because i want to capture all of that but it's almost like with all these things it's like gaining exposure and everything too you know and that's what these pop-ups are about getting the word out which is awesome you're a marketing guy so you totally understand that way better than i do have you thought about and the (laughs) thought occurs to me you know you mentioned you know your friends your sister like i don't want to eat any more food you know the one you've been here for it right you know the one holiday in america that's all about eating food right Thanksgiving. I've always, I had thought that doing a thanks, because also like it's coming up for that time of year. I had the one, uh, the one thought I had done was that it would be really cool to do a Thanksgiving themed moment here, because actually there's, a, there's quite a big, you know, quite a sizable American population who live in London. So I think with a bit of uh, kind of good planning, that could be the the thing. So it's a good, it's a good thought. I had, I had like a kind of, I had some thoughts going through my head a couple months ago about a Halloween like kind of moment, but that's not realistic now. But I do think Thanksgiving is the one. And then what's great about that is that there are so many iconic dishes that, again, like are good, are dishes that do exist in London, but don't necessarily have like the airtime of others. So like pumpkin pie would be the thing that I, I've made. I have a really good pumpkin pie recipe that would be good to add. I could I could serve. And there's a lot of like really interesting dishes you could do with like. All the, I find I find Thanksgiving really interesting because of the like the side dishes are very similar to what we would call like a Sunday roast, like a British Sunday roast. But they're very they are quite unique. So like I always think about the sweet potatoes with the marshmallows on top, uh, like yeah. candied yams and stuff. Um, and I'm like, that's not a thing in London at all, in the UK at all. But like that is a you know, that's a thing that you guys have. So, you know, what could be the twist on that that would be very unique? So, yeah. Hey, it's a good thought. Um, that's not a bad idea, to be honest. Yeah, and it's really funny because when you mention it, like because Thanksgiving, obviously they were all British, you know, immigrants essentially who came together with Native Americans and everything. So it's almost like you would be doing like, oh, you know, they took some British cuisine with uh, Native American flavors, and now you're bringing that back over to 
across the pond to the UK to bring it back over and put in like all these other little things. And yeah, I imagine for a lot of people, because like when you were living in um, New York, you lived in San Francisco as well. I don't think we mentioned that in this episode, but you lived in like uh, some major US cities. Were you like missing any British food in particular at the time? Were there certain dishes that you were like homesick for? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was funny before before I came back from San Francisco um, because of the pandemic. I had so I was living in a um, I forget I forget what it was called, but I was living in a in a it's like we live like we work, which is kind of a, a platform where people who are typically who are expats or traveling around the, around America can live and for one price they have like a room in a space but it's a community so that they do have community events and it's all quite good and i remember having a really great chat with them saying i was like i'm a chef i want to do like supper clubs and i'd love to do it with you guys and my angle was always going to be i'm going to bring authentic british food to san francisco i was going to be like i'm going to serve you sunday lunch on a sunday the way that my mum taught me how to do it so that you can have what i would have and i would have uh you know the classic british desserts that again like you would like pudding like you'd have like cake and custard and uh, stuff that I would have at school and all those kinds of dishes that again don't exist in America so I think I'm I think I'm always a fan of like bringing something to an area that doesn't have it um but I think the thing I would always miss was uh weirdly this will sound odd to you but um Indian food was what I missed the most so um I think there's a lot of good replicas of other dishes that you could have in uh new york in particular because i know it has quite a good like there's a good like british scene so you can have that but indian food just doesn't doesn't compare to what indian food in london in particular but also birmingham which is where my girlfriend's from what it is uh it is so entwined with british culture and british taste that uh my childhood was growing you know i'm from northwest london which is a big uh indian community a lot of my best friends are um, Indian and they uh, I grew up in their households with their mum cooking me Indian food that was just unbelievable. So when I uh, when I was in those spaces, actually, I missed Indian food more than anything else. And uh, I think I, it, I always draw the analogy of it's a bit like if an American live moved to the UK and what they think about Mexican food in the UK. So like Mexican food in the UK exists but it's not what a Mexican food is really like in America. Um, and it's like that kind of nostalgia for that kind of cuisine. That was what I missed so much. Yeah, I can totally see that. And I know like there's a lot of interrelationship with British and Indian food. And I can totally see that. I've heard that the, you know, in London, that the Indian food scene is its own thing completely. It's like it's whole, it's a big deal. And yeah, yeah and I can totally see that. I remember, um, so like at one point like after you left New York, I moved to the Lower East Side. I lived on Orchard and Houston for a couple of years. Have you ever been to this place? Like I, I didn't realize in the East Village that there's a string of like Indian as well as uh, some Sri Lankan restaurants, but they've got like a store underneath it. I didn't realize how famous th that place was until I moved out of New York. I had no clue. Like they've got all sorts of spices. Oh, yeah. yeah. Have you ever been to oh, that? Cool. Um. I, I'm trying to, I, I have a vague memory of going to like some Indian places in New York just to kind of experience it. And it, and I think they were good. It was just, there was something that was, was slightly missing and I couldn't really ever tell you what it was. And um, yeah, and you know, I think all cuisines in big international cities have great restaurants that you can find if you really search for it. And perhaps I just didn't, I didn't know where I was going and where I should have found, but 
yeah, it was certainly just that whole cuisine is just, oh, I love it. Again, like, I think it's up there with like the cuisine that I would have. If I had one cuisine that I could only eat for the rest of my life, it would probably be Indian just because I, it's actually so diverse. I've been to India and it's like the stuff that I have is like scratch the surface of what that cuisine is. But uh, yeah, I, I definitely think it's what I'd miss. Yeah, I've seen on your Instagram too, like I've always wanted to attend an Indian wedding and it seems like you've gone to a few, right? I'm like, yeah. oh man, that would be an amazing, yeah. incredible experience. <laughs> Alrighty, so we are recording again, but yeah, before technical difficulties sometimes happens. I mean, it's amazing that we're able to talk anyway from like such far distances, right? That's true. That is true. Um, I was just saying about Ameri uh, Indian weddings, I think. So um, I, yeah, I've been to about six or seven this uh, over the past couple of years. Um, some my friendship group from school is is uh, mainly Indian and uh, it's just so joyous and it's so different to kind of a traditional uh, British uh, kind of wedding uh, culture. So it's amazing to kind of be a part of. And it's also over many days. So I think it looks like I go to more than I actually do because it's the same person getting married, but it's three wedding days. So just amazing. And, I, you know, it's very much part of my kind of childhood and part of my kind of my, my, my group of friends now is, is that. So, uh, yeah, it's a very nice kind of facet of my life as well that I really enjoy. Yeah. And I think that's incredible. Like it's a bucket list item of my, to at least once, like, and I have a few Indian friends actually here in Dallas. So I'm like, Oh, hopefully, you know, from India or their parents immigrated and they're like first generation American or whatever. But I'm like, Oh, I, hopefully I get invited to an Indian wedding at some point, because that, w that would be yeah. such an amazing cultural experience. Like three days. I've heard like, have you been to where they ride elephants and stuff too? Or is that? <laughs> no, I haven't. We don't, uh, I don't think they do that in, uh, in the UK uh, at all, but um, I've heard, I've heard that, that in the past they used to do that, but um, they, they have the, the dances and, and there's a day of, of, of just dancing, which is really exciting. And also very different to what, I think the thing that it's made me realize is that Indian weddings are all about the joy of love and celebrating love very loudly and 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 proudly. British weddings typically are a bit more refined and a bit more like a kind of lovely garden party, which is completely fine and definitely um, also legitimate. But I think it feels I love the just exuberance that comes from Indian weddings and where they just like like people dance like um the idea, I think, of dancing would terrify most British people. But like these people who who never dance, like they get up with their families, they all dance, like the dads and the uncles. And I'm just like, that is so normal. And uh, and and I love it. And I just think it's very, very inspiring. Yeah, it seems like um, you love just like different cultures, too. Like, you know, Indian culture that you've been exposed to in the UK coming over here to America, too. And you eventually want to try yeah. and get back here, right? Would that like make feeding speedy slightly different at that point? If you do, like you'd mentioned, like you and your girlfriend want to come back and live in New York. Yeah. yeah, I mean, definitely. It's definitely on our kind of on our radar. I think it's it's. The thing about America for people who don't live in America is that there is such a magic to the culture and the life, which I know isn't necessarily reality. And I know that like every country, there are issues and problems. And, you know, I know America has some pretty unique, challenging problems um, to navigate, to, to say the least. But but what I would say is that when I think about the experiences I want to have in my life, I think having the experience, number one of living abroad is an experience that if anyone is able to I think should grab because what it does is it really opens your eyes to 
the diversity of life and how different people can live. And it just it just broadens your outlook to to recognize that you can lots of people can live different lives and it's completely fine and completely within the realms of possibility. And and there's no really right or wrong way to live. It's just kind of as long as you're kind and compassionate and try try your best. I think it's really, really kind of amazing to see. But you're right. I think, you know, we really really we would love to go back to America. I'd love to understand. I don't, I've never really thought like what Feeding CD would look like in America. I guess the thing that I have to sometimes figure out, and this is, you know, an evolution of how all of this works is that what's my, what's the role of Feeding Speedy in my life at that time? And what would be most interesting that I could tap into that might excite other people to follow? So, you know, for me, if I was living in New York, I know a lot of my UK based um, friends and families and followers would love to just see that experience played out. So like, where do we go for dinner? What recipes am I exposed to? What are the experiences that I'm having in America that that we don't have in the UK? Um, but then also it's 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 inspiration for me. Um, you know, I sometimes think about, you know, if I, you know, if I was to create a restaurant concept, I would ground it in something that I would have identified in America that is so unique and compelling that I just think it would work. And in some ways, I kind of almost feel like feeding speedy is is the precursor to something big which is my exploration of american food and what i make sense of it as for something that could happen after so yeah i don't know quite how it would look but i think it's it would definitely still exist it just is kind of my platform for inspiration really and how that evolves with food because um you you just hit on this topic too like uh, you mentioned maybe a restaurant maybe not a restaurant just now there's other mediums too like these pop-ups or food trucks and do you see the expression of food differently with these kind of methods of delivery i guess you know for lack of a better term yeah i mean i mean it's it's i'm sure it's the same in dallas i'm sure it's the same in new york um and big cities the food scene and how food has evolved over the past honestly like over the past two years has been incredible in terms of how we get food how we expect foods to to kind of exist in our world um and just you know if you think in the uk obviously we have um Deliveroo and Uber Eats and you guys have Seamless and other kind of delivery platforms and apps um, so that, you know, you can get brands that are, you know, get your restaurant's cuisine into your homes. And one of the um, emerging kind of business models that is happening very, very early in London, which I find really fascinating, is the idea of creating a brand of restaurant that doesn't actually have a restaurant that only exists on these delivery platforms. So the benefit of that obviously is that you just, you, it's just basically a marketing and branding job um, and you can reduce your overhead and you don't have to have a kind of the challenges of a restaurant. And one of the things that I know from my pop-up life is that restaurants are so expensive to run and maintain and you basically don't make any money unless you become really, really famous um, and then can expand and then franchise out. So it's really difficult to actually make money at all. Um, so the idea of a, building up you know and in some sense I might be inadvertently walking towards this path because it's quite interesting to me and would actually be quite fulfilling the idea of if you can create a you know feeding speedy is the brand and then off the back of that you can then create on the side a menu concept that you can just fulfill through delivery platforms and then you can get to a really exciting place where like the power of your brand then becomes the vehicle for your fulfillment um, and you don't actually have a restaurant. Um, 
I think there's a romantic in me who who's like, I want a restaurant. I want like a thing that I go to and I pour my heart and soul into. But to be honest, there's other ways that you can do it um, that are more, to be honest, more efficient and actually could have a bigger impact. So it's, uh, it, you know, they're all a bit work in progress. But I think the thing that is fascinating is that the great thing is with the right, with the right knowledge and the right confidence, you can create food and sell it pretty much in any capacity uh now like you know th there's there's some really interesting models as well that is almost kind of peer-to-peer -peer food creation where honestly like me as someone who just makes the makes like, stuff in my kitchen that's for five people and then i can sell three portions of that to the local community and then people can pay for it and then pick it up that's something that that is emerging and starting here i don't think it's particularly well known but it's something that does exist so, you know, that's one way of doing it. The taste, the kind of the, the delivery only is, is also another concept. And then obviously you've then got the whole kind of thing of like the food truck scene in the UK, in London. Um, I was in Austin uh, recently and their food truck scene is awesome and very, very different, but really, really cool. Um, so there's lots of different things. And I think for me, it's just trying to be smart about what the overheads are to sustain it because, you know, we're going through as the UK and the US really kind of cost sensitive times will probably be in recession soon. People are really, really kind of pulling back on stuff like food service. So you have to be really clear why someone deserves to spend their money on you. Um, and that's the challenge that I have to kind of navigate. But the idea of a brand building first, I think isn't a bad idea for me. Yeah, and I, I think this is interesting because you're talking about these ideas of scalability, which, you know, I work in kind of like the cybersecurity tech space as like my main job, you know, but, um, you know, these ideas of e-commerce fulfillment centers applying to food, I think that's a really interesting concept because we've seen that happen with retail, obviously, and how that's exploded. Yeah. And while at the same time talking about that immersion experience too, which people do enjoy and everything, because we see from the pandemic, we don't want to be in our homes all the time, 24 seven. That's very challenging and we need variety and we need to see around. So there's these two concepts yeah. and everything as well as just the brand idea too. Yeah, definitely. And I think this is, this is where like, I haven't quite kind of figured it out in my own head yet, but I think the thing that draws me to food and restaurants is the magic of service. And, uh, you know, I, I, uh, my background when I was at school, I used to love theater. I used to love kind of plays and, and performance. And sometimes I almost think about restaurants as the equivalent of, of a great show. So you have a, you know, before it starts, there's a kind of nervous energy and there's an excitement. Then it's showtime, it's seven o'clock, guests start coming in. Then there's the performance of the kitchen with the waiters. And there's very much kind of in service of people, in service of your audience. And then there's a crescendo at the main meal. There's potentially some other things that happen afterwards. And then it finishes and there's a finale. And that, I think people love service. I think people love being served. I think one of the things that the, you know, the, the why I think the hospitality industry is so powerful is that it's one of those few spaces where you are, you allow yourself to feel so at, ser served by others in a space which otherwise you wouldn't. And I think that's really interesting. And potentially why a delivery you know a delivery only thing you have to be well what's the service element what's the thing that you can bring 
if there's if there's not someone there delivering it how do you then make them feel special and how do you make them feel valued and ultimately from my marketing head how do you build brand love because if you don't have someone physically interacting with you or the person who is interacting is a seamless driver or a kind of delivery driver in my world then you, you don't have the brand kind of connection and one of the things that fascinates me is when brands kind of touch touch customers and like what the little moments are because I think those are the magic moments that then mean that you can create not just a food thing, but actually a brand that people want to invest in and buy and grow with. So yeah, I haven't quite figured it out, but I think there's some interesting space in like, how do you bridge the gap between pure functional e-commerce and something that's very joyful and very kind of specific. Like an experience, because when, like you said, when we go to restaurants yeah. and uh, my ex-girlfriend, she was actually a hospitality major in college. Her like dream was originally at that point was to open her own restaurant. Then she didn't want to work. She wanted to work standard hours. So switched over to finance. But, you know, like I could see that passion she has. And you have that, you know, for her experiences, restaurants, like she educated me so much. I'm like, oh, this is Danny Meyer, David Chang, all these people, you know, like yeah. who created all these little brands. And it's quite creative, right? Because like you, with Speedy and Speedy, there could be all these different concepts. Like I think it's uh, Danny Meyer who created Shake Shack, right? He also has daily provisions, yes, yeah, yeah. right? And there's our Union Square Cafe. There's these little kind of concepts he had in his head. And do you see that for yourself? Kind of like Speedy and Speedy, you know, American, you know, American food, British accent, and other like little things that you would like to dream up and kind of, you know, make into reality. Uh, like totally. Like I think when I was in San Francisco, I think I would... Uh, I would almost like have a little checklist of restaurants that I would go to. And, you know, at that point I was literally like, it was so early. I didn't know anyone. So I just, I love going out for dinner by myself when I'm in America, because actually it's some, uh, there was quite a lot of trips that I went on that I did, didn't have any, I didn't know anyone. And it was, you know, before we would go on trips, I just would go. Cause I was like, well, do you know what? I want to have these experiences. Um, and I would write down restaurant ideas because the thing again, like, and it's, I think when you're, when you're someone who does isn't from the place, you see it with fresh eyes and you're like, that's really different. And so, you know, I always think about the iconic American diner. And I just think that's such a, that's such a pure expression of like what American democratic America is and how it's so just kind of comforting and reliable. And, you know, you're not going to get the best of anything, but you'll get good of most things and it's just that comfort blanket for lots of american people and you know i always thought that yeah i i think if i was to kind of wave a magic wand and have like lots of money for lots of funding i think that would be the thing like i would have you know you would have your feeding speedy is american food british accent and i would have my like diner concept i would have my new orleans dive bar concept because i have this like very strong memory of like a really kind of dark and danky kind of uh, like blues bar almost that was just amazing and just very and like the food that was very much associated with New Orleans came from there um, and then yeah I think there's other stuff like barbecue joints and Tex-Mex -Tex stuff that I would love to play with and almost like again it goes back to like resetting the standard right so when you are in food service there are certain compromises you have to make and I know that but the thing that you do is you know you always want to push the bar and innovate and drive things up so there could be some really something really interesting about doing that. And as I say, I'm not necessarily going to charge off and do that tomorrow, but yeah. I certainly think that it's a really interesting concept to play with for sure. Yeah, I think it is too. Like you said, I feel like 
like we were talking about earlier, this concept of like cultures have similar things, right? You know, we mentioned like, say the samosa and empanada, you'd mentioned some other things. I would say like, now that I'm thinking about it, like the diner experience is almost very similar to the British pub in a way of a comfort blanket. Would you, (laughs) would you like agree or what? I get that. I get that. That's an interesting idea. I think, I guess the, the similarity would be that it is the, it's kind of base camp for a lot of, of like Americans and British people. Uh, it's, a, it's a reliable standard that exists pretty much anywhere and is sent, is kind of meant to be that kind of place where if everything goes wrong, at least that still exists and and we can kind of start again. So yeah, I think there's that's an interesting analogy. I think that's probably fair. Yeah, I think um, like, you know, I'm really excited to see like where you go next and what your next pop-ups are going to be because it, it's incredible to see like how I remember pre-pandemic so that would have been about like three years now I remember like you like launching your first pop-up I'm like oh wow this is incredible you know yeah <laughs> yeah well I mean it's amazing and it's, it's I, what I love is that staying connected with you and, and a couple of other American friends it's it's quite a fun like sense check of like whether it's any good or not because I'm just like oh god if I like completely misunderstood everything and then then like you'll be like this is not what I remember and I'll be like oh no that's that's fair point but I just I think the thing is I'm I'm I have a very good and stable job, but I think there's a spark in me of wanting to like create magic alone from it all. And I will keep doing this and keep having this fire. And I'm sure it will continue with me, you know, for years to come in different forms, but the pop-ups are the most pure expression for me of just, just trying to go, have a go and figuring it out, which I think, you know, lots of people, I think, think about entrepreneurship and thinking about what they can do. And there are also people who do it and it's amazing. I think the thing that sets the people who just think about it with the people who actually do it is that there's a moment where you just have to commit and you have to kind of manage the risk around it and know that if if it all goes wrong, you only kind of lose a little bit. And sometimes it's just pride. Like it's not really like I I did my first pop-up and it, I think I remember I invested 500 pounds in it. So I, I forget to be honest, it's probably five hundred dollars at this point. Like the exchange rate is so bad. So you know, it's that's like you know that's like money, but it's not that much money. And if you can just, I was like prepared to be like, look, do you know what? This is I'm going to spend five hundred pounds learning this. And what was really great was that I ended up actually doubling that money. You know, I, I meant I made like a good profit off of the first pop up anyway, which was completely you know not expected. But that was the first time that I was like, okay. Now I've lost the fear. Now I can do pop-ups whenever I want because I, I've got over that big first hurdle. And I think a lot of what stops a lot of people doing stuff is the first hurdle. Because once you realize that actually it's not as intimidating or you don't lose as much if it goes wrong, then, then the world becomes your kind of oyster and you can do what you want. And I think that power of like, you're in charge, you're the one who can, can create something that then people enjoy, certainly is exciting to me. So uh yeah it's one of those things that i definitely want to keep doing it and we'll see where we go yeah and i'd love to see it as someone starting out on this path too there is that initial like hey can i do this or whatever and you just got to start doing it and you know like you said at that point it's like well once you get past that point and you're seeing like the reception to it you're like all right now the world's my oyster i can go put these on some po boys and continue like selling them right yeah <laughs> totally and I, I i think a lot of I think there's a maturity in life where you realize that no one, you don't need to ask for permission to do stuff. 
and particularly things that you're passionate about there'll always be a nagging down your head that you shouldn't do it or like so you need someone else's permission to do it and sometimes I think you have to just switch that voice off in your head and just do it anyway and assume that you're the expert um and then at some point you will become the expert without realizing it but it's the first time that you put on the front and say right I've it was that first customer who I served and was like and who was American and I was like I've literally never served a public per like person from the public ever. And the first person is an American who's trying my food. And I just had to smile and be like, here you go. And the best thing was that she ate it. She said, thank you. And then she left and she didn't complain. She didn't think it was weird. And suddenly I felt more like, oh, okay, well, she thinks I can do it. So why not just do it? Yeah, it's like, it's incredibly validating. You hit that hurdle because for so many people, they want to start so many things and it's just all about... um doing it right and then like what a great like first yeah. test you're like all right the real deal uh, americans coming to try it how it go it went well and you're like all right this is awesome i'm gonna keep doing this yeah totally but um i don't know i i just think that's incredible and you know i think we're coming up on the hour here you know you know sans are a little technical difficulties here and i've really enjoyed recording this episode with you and you know i can't wait to publish it that's going to come soon you know like i'm launching within the next couple of Amazing. weeks uh is there anything else you'd like to tell the listeners obviously we're going to plug all your social media so they can follow you and your journey on this this has been incredible yeah well i mean i mean thank you jordan it's been really good to talk to you and it's also just nice to just reflect a little bit on on the journey and what's been up what i've been up to i think the thing yeah i would love anyone to follow me but i'd also would love some uh particularly if this goes out to like a largely american audience i'd love just like thoughts and suggestions because i'm on a journey discovering american cuisine and it's so diverse um any particularly kind of recipes or dishes that like you're like this is something that i love that you should know about i'm all ears because i really want to uncover those gems that exist within a state or a town that like people come to that place to enjoy and I don't know about it. And there are loads of things I don't know about. Um, so yeah, uh, I'm, I'm definitely open to suggestions. So please uh, give me a follow and uh, just see what I'm up to. Awesome. Thanks, Tom. And guys, like uh, I'll, I'll post uh, Tom's stuff up. Uh, it'll go up on Instagram as well as uh, I'm going to list it again at the beginning of this episode and near the end. So uh, feedingspeedy.com at feeding speedy on instagram and tiktok you know shoot him a follow or shoot him a dm and like let's get this conversation going right brilliant thanks for listening to today's episode everyone please follow our instagram account at combos with jordan where you can receive updates on new episodes and connect with each of our guests and their social media see y'all in the next one